You know, just as we were finishing worship, I remembered something somebody sent me on WhatsApp this week, gone by. Uh, you know, a disgruntled church member after the service came to a leader and said, I, did, I didn't really enjoy the worship this morning. The leader said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> the worship is not primarily for our pleasure, it's for his pleasure. So give it your best shot always, but I think you've got a great worship team. And I think they've done a good job. Praise God. Okay, I'd just like to check everybody's IDs this morning to find out if you're at a good age. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay, my subject this morning is how to turn on a godly woman sexually. Now, this is a really juicy one. No, the answer is actually simple. The answer is actually simple. But... um, this, you know, I do a series on the DNA of the male and the female species, a whole series on that, and, um, and uh, you know, according to what the Word of God tells us, and uh, this session is, uh, only emerges late in the series. So um, I have to jump over several uh, sessions uh, to be able to get, you know, to get to this subject, and then I've got to try and, you know, just glean some stuff there to give you a foundation for this, because without the foundation for this, it's not going to really minister to you, okay? So, um, yeah, so let's go, and we're going to look at some of the interesting things here. Uh, I want to start off with origin, and in Psalm 139, verse 14, uh, he says there, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, some people are more fearfully than wonderfully made, but <laughs> we won't go down that, that, that route there. But that word wonderfully, uh, the, the Hebrew word that is pala, which means separated or distinguished. In other words, unique. And uh, so we see that God made us all different for a very specific reason. It's not just Soma, you know, um, and, and God never does things just soma. He does it for a reason. Okay, so if you're not, uh, that's why the Bible warns about trying to always uh, compete with other people. You know, when, once you understand that you are unique and God wants you to be unique, you don't have to be in competition with anybody. And this is, uh, relieves us tremendously. Now look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, one of my great scriptures that I really am, am amazed at. He says there, uh, about God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Did you know that your purpose was already established before time began? So when you were born, you didn't surprise God, whoops, here's another one, what shall I get this one to do? God had already established your purpose way back because God knows the end from the beginning. No, that's one of the unique things about God. Okay, so, so God knew you, and God had determined your purpose already. So your DNA, your birth, your sex, your race, uh, your location, and everything was not random occurrences. God knew exactly when you would be born, where would you would be born, who your parents would be, who your circle in which you are born uh, into. God knew all that before time began. So I'm saying, okay, Lord, if you plan, knew all this and you planned a purpose for me, then it doesn't matter what my circumstances is, I'm going to go for my purpose. Because a lot of people live in the past. 
You know, I've had this past, and I've had this terrible upbringing, and, and I was abused, and so on and so forth. Now, we know those are real factors, but you know what? You can get healed. You can get released so that you can pursue your purpose. Don't ever let your past uh, think it's going to disqualify you from your purpose. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can deal with your past. He can deal with your present. He can deal with your future. Isn't that awesome? Okay, now, if you want to understand your origin... Um, you will, if you don't understand your origin, you'll never understand your destiny. Okay, because if you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you're going to go. Now, Jesus said, I know where I'm from, and I know what, where I'm going. Hallelujah. And this is what God wants us to uh, come to that kind of um, understanding as well. Now, you know, Satan has tried to confuse the origin of the human race with so-called science, which is uh, evolution, and, and with religious stuff. Now, science is, uh, evolution is not science. It is something they believe that they can't prove it's a religion. And I was debating a young man once, and he was saying, oh, well, you know, you believe this, I believe in this. I said to him, tell me how does your understanding of your origin help you in time of trouble, and I'll tell you how mine helps me. Because mine is not a philosophy, it's a person who's alive, and he's with me every moment of the day. Isn't that wonderful? So, don't let the enemy get you on those kind of things, okay? Because he'll tell you we evolved from the slime at the bottom of the ocean, you know, and that's where you come from. Now, if you think your origin is an animal that's just evolved, then your destiny is you'll die like an animal. And that's it. That's what the enemy would love you to believe. Okay, now, I, I, you know, I can really go on to these subjects as well, which I do in my whole series. Now... Those who believe their origin is from an animal will see their destiny similar to an animal, and their philosophy will be, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And you know, there are people like that. They're just riding on chance. They're riding on fate. will dictate my path wherever that may be, and they're just riding along until they fall off eventually and die. What a hopeless kind of existence. And what a waste of, of, of talents and gifts and so on that God um, really has for us. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if that's what you believe, it's going to affect your decision making, it's going to affect your values, it's going to affect everything. But if you know that you've got your origin is in God, and therefore your destiny is in God, and therefore you've got a purpose to fulfill, well, that's great. I think I might have even mentioned it last time I preached here. The three questions you've got to answer. Where are we from? Why are we here? And where are we going? And those three are very important questions because that's going to determine your worldview, which I preached on last time, I think. Okay, so, so that's a, just a little bit about your origin. Now let's have a quick look at purpose, okay? If you want to discover anything's purpose, you've got to look at its origin. Because a creator usually names his crea creation according to purpose. In other words, the nature is in the name. Say that. The nature is in the name. Let me illustrate it. If you know nothing about cars, and you go and visit a friend, and he's busy tampering with his car, the bonnet's up, and, and you look inside, and you say, what's that thing with a big fan there? It's a water pump. Oh, really? What does it do? Duh. It pumps water through the engine. The nature's in the name. So we need to have a look, and we're trying to determine the nature of uh, the human being. Now, Adam and Eve were not the names of the first people. Okay, the Hebrew word for Adam means human being or of the ground. 
the, the, the word Eve means life-giving. So that wasn't actually their names. So that's good. Now look at Genesis 2 verse 21 to 23. The rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now I'm, look, I'm following the trend of the natures in the name. So Adam and Eve wasn't it. But he says, yeah, a woman, she was, uh, she's a woman because she was taken out of the man. Now when you go into the Hebrew words there for woman, um, uh, in, in that scripture, it, the Hebrew word there is isha, okay, meaning female. And the Hebrew word for man there is ish, I-Y-S-H, okay, ish, uh, meaning male. Now, so, so when we look at this, uh, and let's go here again to the next slide, um, and it says there, Adam reveals the origin of man, is of the ground. But Ish reveals the nature of man, which we're going to have a look at. So Eve reveals the origin of woman, life-giving. But Isha will reveal the nature of the woman, which we're going to uh, just uh, look into in a little bit more detail uh, and so on. Now, by the way, you will notice this morning, I haven't come here to preach, I've come here to teach. Do you know the difference between preaching and teaching? Preaching, you know, you have obscope and, and word of knowledge flows, yeah, we pray for people and they fall under the power and well, that's preaching. But teaching is not like that. It's giving you information that you're going to need to be able to affect your quality of life out there. Because some people have a nice hop, skip and dance in the church and then they go out there back to normal living. There's no point in that. So we want to equip you, and this is, is what I'm trusting the Lord is going to equip you here. Now, okay, so um, a, a person, the question is, can a person's nature be tampered with? Now, we were saying here that Ish reveals the nature of man and Isha the nature of woman. Can your nature be tampered with? Of course it can be tampered with. If you wanted to study the nature of a lion, it would be unwise to go to the zoo to study the nature of a lion. Because in the zoo, a lion is in his cage, boy. That's not the nature of a lion. But his environment has tampered with his nature. If you want to know what a lion is like, you go into the wild and study him there. Then you'll see what a lion is like. And you know what? There are people that are caged. Most people. Maybe I should rephrase that. All of us, to a certain measure, have been caged. By our circumstances, by the expectation of life and society out there and so on and so forth. And it's affected our nature. And that's not been a good effect. So we need to say, okay, Lord, you know, am I just supposed to uh, 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 just die like this? No. You see, the world today with its perverted views uh, uh, and its expectation is not the place to study the role of a woman and a man according to God's purposes. Now, I'm going to focus more specifically on a man at the moment because, you know, our original title, How to Stir Up the Woman. So, man, you need to listen. Okay, guys, listen with both ears. Woman, listen with one ear because it's good for you to know this as well. Okay, so, so, so we can't study the nature of a human male into, if you compare it with to, today's society. Okay, so... so um, let me put it this way, the nature of the male species has been so altered over the years that they don't know who they really are anymore. And so where do we look for the ideal role model? Where do we go for that? Because you can't look out there, you know, film stars? No. Sports stars? No. 
Politicians, no. <laughs> uh, very wealthy business people, no. <laughs> Where do we go? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Look at this. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they are measuring themselves by themselves and in comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. So if I'm trying to measure up who I'm supposed to be by somebody else's standard, I'm going to miss the boat. Because my calling is not identical to anybody else on the face of the planet. So I need to say, okay, Lord, let me know where to go. So the so-called heroes of today, uh, you know, they tend to portray a very distorted view of the male species. Now, our only hope is to go back to the Creator. You know, in order to rediscover the original purpose of the human male. Because the nature is in the name. And we're going to look at that. Now, James 1, verse 23 and 24. Look at this. This is cool. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, that word natural... The Greek word there is Genesis. So it says a man looks into the mirror of the word of God and he sees his Genesis face. He sees what God has created him to be. And then he goes away and forgets immediately what kind of man he's supposed to be. In the word of God, he tells us what the male is supposed to be. He tells us what the female species is supposed to be and what our expectation is. And I want to tell you, once you find out what God intends you to be, your disappointments are going to be far less in life. Because we often have false expectation of each other. And that's a big problem in marriages. Well, I expect him to be like it. Well, I expect her to be like that. Hello, what does God want him to be? What does God want her to be? And I've often said, you know, if a husband and wife each live the way God wants them to live, they should be able to live together in peace. If they're not in peace, somebody's not towing the line. Somebody's breaking the rules here. So, it's good for us to go back and, and, and really have a look at this. Now, uh, James, uh, yeah, okay. Um, the Greek word for, genesis, uh, for um, naturally Genesis, okay? So, we need to go back and see what the Genesis man is meant to be like. And so, we're going to go back to the words Ish and Isha. Because there's something we're going to learn out of that. Now, the word ish can also be translated into several other words. Which enables us to better understand what ish is really meant to be. This uh, will then identify the DNA of the species. Look at this. Ish can also be translated as mighty, as warrior, as husband, as champion, and as steward. Now, in my series that I do, I spend some time on each one of those. And guys, it will blow you away when you really see what God created you, what God has actually invested in you, what your, your, your spiritual DNA is really about. And uh, wow, you know, people have been blessed, uh, you know, through the, this whole series. Now, today I can only deal with one aspect of, of Ish, and I'll deal with this aspect here, because of our, the nature of our topic. <laughs> okay, we'll deal with husband and, and see, you know, what God shows us in that. Now, uh, Ish means husband. Now, Within the nature of Ish is a natural ability to be a husband and a father. Why? Because Ish has been created in the image and likeness of heavenly father. If I'm in his image and likeness, there's something in me that can be a father. There's something in me that can be a husband. 
I have that latent ability. Now, if a person, well, I just don't have that kind of, well, okay, you know, I, I'm not a musician. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I, I don't have that ability to be a good musician. I can probably learn to play something, and I did for one, at one stage a little bit, I play guitar, but, and so on. But, you know, that's not really my gifting. But praise God, he's got other people here who that is their gifting. So now I don't have to compete with him. Say, well, I'm going to try and sing like he sings. No, 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 let him sing like he sings. I'm going to do what I do. There's stuff I do that he won't be able to do that well. These are things I'm very good at. There are things I'm hopeless at. So I'm saying, Lord, raise up people in the church who are good at what I'm hopeless at. And God starts doing that and I say, sure, praise God. Because I know who I am. I know what God wants me to do. So I don't have to be jealous of somebody else that, that is better than me in certain things. And I want to tell you there are many of our, well, most of our leaders are better in certain things than I am. It's not a threat to me. That's why the, Jesus called the church a body. What's the most important organ in your body? People often say the heart, maybe, or the brain, or whatever. If you had a perfect heart and no lungs, that perfect heart will die. You know why? Because a perfect heart is not designed to breathe. It was designed to pump blood. So it needs the lungs who will not pump blood, but they will bring the oxygen. You know what I'm saying is, that's why God says that's the body of Christ. You need to understand that. So if the heart and lungs are at war with each other, and who do you think you are just pumping blood like you own the place? Yeah, but you just half puff and half puff all the time, and what do you expect to happen? Does that sound like church? No, okay. Not this church, I'm, I'm trusting. Right. Now... <laughs> So Ish is naturally faithful and responsible because that is the nature of the heavenly father in whose image he was created. Okay, so tampering with the Ish nature has resulted in a fatherless generation. Because a lot of them have absconded, man. They've left it, you know, honey, look after the kids for the rest of your life. I'm going my way because I've got things to do. Now, there are circumstances, and, you know, I, I some, say these things lightly sometimes, but I know there are some very serious circumstances that lead to this. But what I'm just trying to say, running away from a problem will never solve anything. You need to look to God for the solution to that problem. And when people come to me over the years, not so much recently because they know a little bit what they're going to get, but, you know, come to me and say, oh, pastor, you know, there's no love in the church. I said, why don't you love anybody? No, 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 not me. Yeah. I said, no, no, if you're the only person that loves, there's love in the church. And if God has shown you there's a lack of love, it's so that you can go to the next church. No, no, no. God is showing you what you need to sow in the jolly place. If there's a lack of love, you need to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to start loving people. Yeah, man. Whoa, I'm going to change this. <laughs> Any pastor loves to have people like that who say, tell us what the problems are, and we're going to address them, man. We're going to change things so that the Lord can be glorified in us all. Okay, so this is, this is cool. Now, the fatherless generation. One, 1 Timothy 3 verse 5. Look at that. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? So what I'm saying is if my house is out of order, my ministry is going to be affected by it. So I need to go back to the home thing and say, Lord, how can I be the husband you want me to be? How can I be the wife you want me to be? 
So I'm saying, Lord, you know, we really need help here. Now, the Greek word there, uh, rule, for him to rule his own house, the Greek word there is proistomai. It's not something you take, you know, when you get an allergy. Um, <laughs> it means to set in place before or to stand in front of. That is what it means, proistomai. His wife is his helpmeet, not his defender. He's the one that must proistomai, stand in front of his house, stand in front of his wife and his children, and so on and so forth. Now, um, so, so the man must know how to stand in front of his house and family. Why? Look at 1 Corinthians 11.3. But, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, now, what he's saying is there's an order in the house. Now, you know, some of you ladies are thinking, oh, oh, where's this going? You're going, oh, I sit with you, you know, whatever. If you get my whole drift over there, wife, you'll be greatly encouraged. I don't believe there's any woman that will mind submitting to a husband who loves her as Christ loved the church. A husband who doesn't love her like Christ loves the church has no right to demand submission because he's out of order. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? So, so just don't go down a wrong way of thinking over here. Okay, uh, work with me on this one. Okay, so uh, the head of, of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Now, Ish cannot remain passive when his wife or children are threatened. Because there's something inside of him that needs to rise up and say, you come into my house over my dead body. That is what the, the husband should be like. Okay, that is what Ish would do. Okay, so his wife is his helpmeet, not his defender. Now, a lot of times, you know, the wife's doing the spiritual warfare over the home while husband's watching TV. There's something wrong in the order here. I'll come to that, back to that in, in a moment or three. Now, uh, when a man or a woman faces the enemy side by side, the enemy usually goes for the woman. Did you read about the Garden of Eden? Who did the serpent approach? Eve. And you know why? Because the position of the man was not covering her. So when I said we face him side by side, Jesus does not say walk beside me. Jesus says follow me. Walk behind me in the place of safety and security. Because I'll go before you into every situation. And I'll go and check it out for you. He's already walked into tomorrow and, and next month. He's already walked in there. So he says, follow me. Because then you're in the place of safety. So you get this whole thing, but, you know, we believe in equality. You know, home is a democracy and everybody should have an equal right in that. You don't understand certain scriptures. I had once, my wife, used to, when she was working secularly, um, she had a, one of her bosses, it was the end of the year due and Christmas due and the spouses could come and I was there chatting to him and, oh, oh, you're a pastor, you know, and um, him and his uh, girlfriend had a, a little baby and so on. So he said, oh, you know, with my kid, oh, because my wife was then very involved in Sunday school. And uh, he said, oh, we're not going to get our kids, influence him to take any particular religion. He must grow up to decide for himself what religion he should follow. I said, wow, that's interesting. I said, so if your little son decides he wants to do his job in the middle of your bed, you mustn't tell him where to. Let him grow up and decide for himself where he needs to do his job. That's a stupid argument, man. 
Bible says the foolishness is in the heart of a child. A child needs to be led. A child needs to be taught. Because there's an order here. Okay. I'm glad some of you are with me. <laughs> okay, so, so, so we need to understand this. Now, the enemy always seeks to get people to ignore those in authority over them. Because you see, Ish is the head of the home. He is the spiritual covering. That's what he's supposed to be. Now, if the rest of the family ignore that, or if he absconds from his position, the woman will then try and rise up into it. But you know what? She's not called for that. And that's why you find single mom homes have very difficult times with raising children. Not because there's anything wrong with a mom, necessarily. But she was not equipped to be an ish. She was equipped to be an isha. And we've got several uh, single moms in our congregation and we're getting the money in the church to help stand by and say, okay, we're going to take your boyki out for some uh, good fun and so on and so forth. And she says, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because she doesn't know what to do with this guy anymore. Especially when he starts growing bigger. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? So there needs to be a covering which is going to be a protection over that thing. And if the husband's not there, that, that covering is not there. Now, now you know... Um, Ignoring or opposing a covering makes us vulnerable, and that even happens in the church. The church needs to provide a spiritual covering for you. You find Christians that hop from church to church to church to church. I want to tell you, they very seldom ever get to maturity. I've often said Christians with the biggest library are often the most confused people you get. Because they, piercing, do you know what the word piercing means? Nibbling. At, different, at that person's revelation, ooh, this is different, this person's minutes. Now I'm going to pierce on this one. Now I'm going to eat a little bit of this. Then I'm going to eat a little bit of that. You know what? You never get your own vision. Because you're constantly running from other people's vision to other people's vision. You need to get your foot tied to the ground there and say, listen, take up your responsibility and grow yourself. As that old saying goes, you know, you've got to grow by yourself no matter how tall your father was. You've got to grow. So you need to understand this thing about a spiritual covering, okay? Now, now look at the pattern in Eden there, as I referred to a little bit earlier. In Genesis 3, verse 4 on to 6, I'll just do little bits and pieces here. But, you know, it said, the serpent said to the woman, he came to her, not to, 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 to the man. Uh, so then the woman saw the fruit was good, so she was now evaluating this thing. Then she took of the fruit, and she ate of it, and then she gave to her husband to eat of it. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong with the order there. And Satan knows that. And that's why he deliberately went to her, not to the husband. Now, when we consider these things, the question is, who was supposed to be in charge? Well, look at Genesis 2 verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. God appointed the man to be the head of that garden. The woman was only created uh, in verse 21 on to 24. She wasn't even there when God gave him the, 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 the commission to oversight the garden. Do you see that? Now, you need to understand this. Uh, now, Adam was supposed to be in charge. The woman was only created in verse 21 to 24. Okay, so when the fall took place, who did God hold accountable? Genesis 3 verse 9. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Not because God lost Adam. 
He's saying to Adam, I want you to consider why are you where you are? And look at this. Why are you not standing between the enemy and your wife? Where were you? I was afraid and I hid myself. I was afraid. Now, you know, a lot of guys, they won't acknowledge that I'm not afraid of anything. But you know what? You're afraid of, of failure. You're afraid of not rising to the, to the standard. And so you'd rather duck out so that you won't be exposed as a failure. This is, this is often male tendencies. Okay, so I'm hop, skipping and jumping here, guys. So please, you know, bear with me. Okay, so Adam was supposed to be in charge. Now, God ordained the order of the home. But Satan has so altered the natural environment that men feel guilty when they believe God concerning domestic order. Well, I'm supposed to be there. Yeah, but the feminist movement said, no, 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 we're all supposed to be equal. You see, this has got nothing to do with inferiority and superiority. This has got nothing to do with ability. This has got to do with function. I don't have a monthly period. I never have had. Praise God. That's why I'm ish. But you know what? I've also never born a child. <laughs> That's why she's Isha. It's function. Now, sometimes the wife could be far more intelligent than the husband. That's got nothing to do with the order. And I'll show you from Scripture why I say this. Okay, so... Um, The pattern today, even in the church, is that men do not stand before their wives. Often the wife is the one who prays for the children when they're sick. Why? I remember at a service once, you know, years ago, you know, asking people who want to have prayer come forward afterwards, and this lady comes with her two children. Now, she and her husband in the service, he's sitting at the back, she comes up, she says, Pastor, my children are ill, and I was just asking if you can pray for them. So I said to her, has your husband prayed for them? She said, no. I said, go and ask him to pray for them. And if so, nothing happens, come back to me. I'm not going to do his job. His children are sick and he's never prayed for them. And he's supposed to be a Christian. Take up responsibility, yes, guys. This is it, you know. So at intercession meetings many husbands send their wives to confront the enemy while they sit at home looking after the children and watching tv and they say and uh, you know I, I hope you win the battle for us honey and, and may god help you <laughs> shame on ish we had that problem like most churches have the intercessors are women Thank God for inter women intercessors. Because I want to tell you, a lot of churches wouldn't exist if it weren't for them. But you know what? We had a guy come in to speak at our church many years ago, and he spoke on this issue. And so the next day, we, the, as elders, we gathered all the intercessors, the ladies. We said, we want to apologize to you for sending you into the battle while we're sitting at home. We're going to change things. And we've been pushing that. I want to tell you, our prayer meetings, all our prayer meetings are predominantly men. Eight out of ten will be men. They're saying, come on, guys, take up your responsibility. You need to exercise this authority because God has invested you with an ability to do this. Now, exercise that responsibility. Don't leave it to your wife. She wasn't called to do that kind of thing uh, primarily. Okay, so, so this is it. 
Now, shame on Ish, you know, we need to repent for deserting our Ish position and not standing in front of our wives and children during attacks. And that's what we did, boy, we repented of it. Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, male and female he created them. Yeah, we have two different words again. We have had Ish and Isha. Yeah, we got male and female. Hebrew word for male is Zakah, and Hebrew word for female is Nequibah. Zakah and Nequibah. Now, this is, is bringing us closer to, to where we actually want to go. Now, <laughs> let's first consider the nature of Nequibah, the lady, uh, so that we can know how Zakah is meant to relate to her, and remember the nature is in the name. Nequibah comes from a root word, Nehwab, which means to perforate or to pierce. Wow. Okay, where's your ID now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, this has two fulfillments. Now, it obviously refers to the sexual act when the hymen is pierced, okay, uh, which causes bleeding. Now, this act is reserved for married couples only, according to Scripture, because it denotes the marriage covenant, which is then sealed with blood. It's a blood covenant. Wow. Okay. So, what I see here is that virginity is very important to God, according to Scripture. That is why Satan tries to destroy virginity and get young people to sleep around, first of all, before they get married, so that that covenant can never be sealed in blood. And you wonder why two out of three marriages fail today. Now, of course, if one's done that and said, well, I didn't know what God, you know, the scriptures and so on and so forth, and you repent, God can restore you, God can, can help you in that situation. But as uh, this guy called Mark, Mark Gungor, and if you listen to him with, you know, laugh your way to a better marriage. Why he says, you can also still have a successful marriage, but you're going to have to work a bit harder. Because you're going to recover something. So, virginity is important and, and so on. So, to violate this sacred act of, of, of uh, husband and wife coming together with rape or with fornication or adultery was punishable by death in the Old Testament. person caught in, in adultery, they were stoned to death. See, once a hymen is pierced, it can never be restored again. And living together is not covenant. It's not a real marriage. But today, of course, it becomes fashionable, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so the man was created to be the initiator, the woman, the receiver, and, uh, and uh, he imparts the seed, which is the Greek word there, sperma, of life, and she receives it. That's in the natural, Okay. Um, and so, so, but we, we've also got to understand that sex, according to Scripture, is not only made for procreation, it's also made for the pleasure of married couples, uh, as can be seen from the Song of Solomon. There you've really got to get your idea if you want to know what Solomon is talking about, but you need to have a bit of understanding of that. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing that God has given, but God has said, I want to reserve it to married couples because it must be based on covenant. So we go. Um, now, because the sex drive is such a strong force, God warns us about abusing it, and, and, and so on. There's a lot of things in Scripture. I don't want to go down that route because that's not my purpose to, this morning. Now, so the first point is obviously it refers to the sexual thing, that whole, whole thing about uh, her name, 
um, Nekwiba. But the second thing is the sacred sexual act is also used to illustrate God, the, the relationship between Christ and the church. Okay, you know Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So you see why it's sacred? Because it has a spiritual fulfillment. Now, as a hus the husband implants the sperm into his wife in order to produce life, so Christ implants the sperma of his word into us to produce the image of Christ in us through the rebirth. Rebirth. So all this physical stuff has actually a spiritual counterpart. That's why God says, be careful. When God said to Moses, this is how you must build this tabernacle. Man, every little detail. And God says, you must build it exactly to the pattern I show you. When I say there are 50 golden catches on the curtain, don't put 49 or 51. There's a reason, because this is a reflection of what's in the heavenlies. So everything God commands us here is a reflection of the heavenlies. So it's not just whether we think, oh, I'll do that, or I don't do that, this is important, this is not important. You don't understand the, the principle here. That there's a reason God tells us not to do things, and there's a reason God tells us to do certain things. One Corinthians eleven seven. He, the man, is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the image and glory of man. We're coming to our question shortly. Good News Bible says he reflects the image and glory of God, but the woman reflects the glory of man. He reflects the glory of God. The woman reflects the glory of, the, of, of her man. Now, um, a man's calling and highest satisfaction comes from reflecting God's glory. Not from being successful in business. Not from making a lot of money. Not from having the most gorgeous woman in the world to be his wife. That's not where he gets his ultimate satisfaction. That's why people who reach those goals are never satisfied. So that is where it comes from. Now, a woman's calling and higher satisfaction comes from reflecting her man's glory, which is the glory of Christ in him. Hollywood wants men to believe that women desire their physique most. So they do their, you know, whatever the case might be. And yet a godly woman will instinctively be drawn to a man who spends much time with God. A godly woman. That will be something that draws her, that attracts her. Now listen to this. Yet it comes, your answer. Because women are more easily pierced by God, they will more easily open their hearts and their loins to a man who carries the presence of God. So if you want to turn a godly woman, turn on a godly woman, let her see the glory of God reflected in your life. And that will only apply to husband and wife, obviously. So you thought you're going to get a real juicy kind of sermon out of that situation. That's the thing. Now, let me, let me show this to you. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 27. Husbands, submit to your... Uh, <laughs> wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ the head of the church. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wives, submit to their husbands, okay? As unto the Lord. Not because he's such a great God, but because God says so. Then he goes on. Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh, so that's the kind of love that a husband is supposed to have. He must give himself to the wife. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he may present her to himself a glorious church. So the husband then has the responsibility to bring the sperma of God's word to his wife so that he may present her before God as the glory of God's reflection in him without spot and blemish. Lord, this is the woman you gave me. I've reflected your glory for her and I've implanted the sperma of your word, Yashis. Look what happened to her. Now, this... this is, is a very real challenge, and, and listen to what I'm going to say in, in a moment or, or so. But um, when Christ is finished with the church, he presented himself a glorious church. When the husband is finished with his wife, he presented her to Christ as a glorious wife. Now, um, you know, because I, I look at my wife, she's a, a great woman of God, and uh, I couldn't have found a better wife in the whole world for me. But, you know, when I first married her, she wouldn't even t do a ladies' meeting. And I remember when I got married, because I was in the ministry for seven years already, eight years, and uh, I said to the congregation, I'm not marrying my assistant pastor, she's my wife. Her first responsibility is me, not you. Just to get people to get that order right. Anyway, so she wouldn't even take a ladies' meeting. But you know what? Today she speaks internationally at conferences. Because I've encouraged her. And I've said to her, you can do this. And I've helped her in these things. And she's grown. You get her testimony. She says, my husband was my spiritual father. Well, I was her pastor for seven, eight years before we got married. So. <laughs> and when we first met, why did it take all that long? Well, you know, she was still a late teenager. And she was a scrambled eggs one. And I thought, no. <laughs> But after all those years seeing the change in her, then I felt God is saying, she's the one. And you see how she's grown. So I'd like her one day to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I've become who you want me to be. Because my husband encouraged me. There are certain things she's much better at than me. But you know what? There was a time she wasn't confident because she didn't know what was invested in her. But I had to encourage her to bring that out. You know how often the husband will attack the wife? Ha! Call yourself a woman. Why don't you? Or sometimes it's the opposite way around, of course. You know, yeah. But I'm, I'm not talking about that one at the moment. I'm talking about this one. Guys, you need to encourage your wives. So that they can rise up to be who God wants them to be. Now, listen to this. Got, your, got both your ears open here. The husband who relegates the responsibility to the pastor will lose the affection of his wife to the pastor. Because she's not seeing the glory of God in the husband. She sees it in the pastor. And very often, she thinks she's in love with the pastor. But it's actually the glory that's drawing her. Now, this is important. Listen to this. This is why pastors fall into sin sometimes. Because neglected women pursue them for the glory that's reflected in. And if the pastor doesn't understand what's happening, he'll fall into the trap. 
You know, I remember those early years before I was married when I was still a handsome young was, you know, handsome young man. I've fallen off a bike five times, guys. That's why I, that's my excuse. But anyway, <laughs> we had uh, people coming to our church, and there was a particular young woman came to our church. She got saved. Her husband wasn't saved, and so on and so forth. And she went through a bit of a hard time. Shame. And, and sometimes, you know, I'd see her come in at the door at the church there, and I'd just take one look at her face, and I can see it's not going well. Then afterwards, I'd say to her, now, tell me, what's going on? Okay, well, this and that and that, and I'd advise for her, and I'd pray for her, and off she'd go, and whatever. And this happened, you know, over the little bit of a period of time. And then one day she came, she said, I want to see you after the service. I said, yeah. She said, um, I just want to tell you I'm going to leave, I'm leaving this church. So I said, why? She said, because my motive for coming isn't right. So I said, what do you mean? She says, I only come to see you. And I could see where this was going. Now, I could say, oh, really? <laughs> hey, I must be cool, you know, that she's coming for me, you know. But I saw what was happening. I said to her, come here, sit down. I said to her, you, you know why you're saying that? Because when I see you look down, I go to you and say, what's going on? Tell me. Wouldn't you like your husband to do that? She said, yes, but he never does. And then I just illustrated a few things. I said, it's not me that you're drawn to. It's what I'm giving you. But we're going to ask the Lord to help your husband to give you that. She saw it and didn't leave the church. But you see whether it could have just been like that and there could have been a problem. So this is why it's so important. Husbands, we've got to do this or else you're going to find uh, not all, a lot of women won't wander off because they've got a very strong conviction from the word of God. But that's why a lot of them do. Okay, so, uh, so uh, many wives are frustrated and unresponsive sexually because they f don't find the glory of God in her husband. Because he's going for finance and, and phys physique and, and social position and so on. And you know what? Those things can disappear overnight. And then you sit with what? I remember years ago also when Magnum P.I. used to be on. Some of you might be before you're done. <laughs> But old Tom Selleck, you know, when he was a young guy, oh, my wife used to like old Tom Selleck, you know. Wow, you know, whatever. And then, you know, I'd be, she'd be preparing supper and I'd be watching something on TV and there's something with Tom Selleck. Say, Tom's on the way. And she'd come in, oh, you know. There was no threat. Because Tom couldn't give her what I was giving her. Even if he looked better than me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we can walk through a mall and, and my wife can say, wow, that's a beautiful woman. I look, yeah, yeah, she is beautiful. And walk. It's not a problem. But you see, if our relationship is insecure, then that could be a problem. And so we need to be wise here and, and say, Lord, show us how to get these things right. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Okay. So, so, um, some women feel unclean through intimacy with a backslidden husband. She feels the need to close her heart to her husband in order to protect her spirit from contamination. You know, she's trying to serve God. She's trying to be best. And he comes in and he's drunk. And, okay, let go to bed. Whatever, whatever. And she just feels like she's got such a resistance to this. Because there's something that clashes in her spirit with us. So husbands, we've got a real serious responsibility here, okay? Now, um, once the divine order is established, nequabah, 
finds zakah. And intimacy goes beyond a mere sexual experience. It finds a spiritual dimension. And God is glorified in that. So in closing, just something more, just a little bit more about zakah. Um, look at the word zakah means a species marked as to be recognized, remembered, or mentioned. Marked specifically for reigning, for ruling. Okay. Now, that mark of recognition is particularly in regards to leadership. Okay. Now, in Genesis 2, verse 15 and 18, God puts the man in charge of the garden to cultivate and keep it. And then God ma makes the woman to help this man fulfill his God-given responsibility. That's why she's called a help me. Okay. Now, 1 Corinthians 11.3. Look at these next three little scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 11.3. The head of the woman is the man. Oh, dear. Because... Of structure. Not because of gifting. Nor was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now the husband is the head of the wife. Okay. Now just if finally in, in, in just reinforcing that again with you. Uh, this domestic order was not stipulated because the woman's inferior in ability. Because the establishing of God's order never primarily has to do with ability. If God calls you for something, he will enable you. Not a problem there. So the kingdom of God is theocratic. In other words, God chooses and then he marks whom he's chosen. Kingdom of God is not democratic. Now Romans 9 verse 10 and, and on to 12 says this. The purpose of God is according to election, not of works, but of him who calls. So God says, if I say, husband, you are the head of the home because I'm going to equip you with certain giftings or whatever to enable you to fulfill that role. Uh, wife, you submit to him in this because I'm going to equip you to do something, but you need his covering over you. <laughs> it is God's choice that Zagar should be marked to lead. Nekwabar was created to help Zagar, Zagar, uh, to fulfill his divinely ordained purpose. Now, if the man does not seek to fulfill the will of God, his wife cannot be his helpmate. Now there's confusion in the marriage. She was not created to help him fulfill carnal passions and dreams. This is why many women seek their own identity and their own ministry eventually. Saying, because this guy is, is not, not helping me here. Um, seeing that God has purpose for Zagar to lead, it is understandable that Satan would do his utmost to confuse that purpose. And uh, Revelation 12, verse 4 and 5, look at this. The dragon Satan stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour a child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule the nations with the rod of iron. He knows, Satan knows, that the male has been marked for certain leadership responsibilities. God didn't send a woman to be the savior of the world, but he got a woman to carry the savior of the world. Do you see that? But the male was there. Now Satan said, if I can destroy this male, which is Jesus, again, born, the woman was, was represented Israel, if you look at the context there, and this male that was going to be born. He was, and what happened? Uh, he stirred up old, old Herod and said, uh, Herod said, kill all the Jewish boys, under the age of two, because he realized this, this 
this child has been born here. Wanted to wipe him out. That's Satan trying to destroy that. Wants to stop the purposes of God. Satan knows where to attack to stop the purposes of God. Now, now look at this quickly. Uh, why the male? Satan has taken note of what God has marked. Okay, and he's aware that the male seed of the woman will destroy his kingdom. So in Exodus 1, even when Moses was born, and Pharaoh said, all the Hebrew boys under the age of two, wipe them out, kill them. I'm trying to stop this guy who's going to lead Israel out of Egypt and into the, uh, towards the promised land. He knows where to attack because the species was marked for leadership. Now, <laughs> um, today Satan inspires governments, the media, movies, the TV industry, education systems, the feminist movement uh, to de de discredit and reduce the male species, to ridicule the male. Have you noticed in a lot of comedy shows, the man is the idiot? And it's not by chance, it's by design. I remember years ago, this may be before some of you as well, an advert on TV, Cobra Taps. And the guy was bathing and the woman got to all the lady, oh, I want to show you my new taps or whatever it was. So she comes into there and look, and the bath water is just swishing and then no guy in there. So she said, excuse me, and they're all goo, ah. and off they go out and she turns around and the washing basket doing this and she says, Harry, you can get back into the bath. Making him to be an idiot. You know what I mean? I objected to that advert. Because there's some purpose behind that. And so this is it. The enemy knows who's marked for leadership and he's going to try and destroy that. So, my... Was that my last scripture? Malachi 4. This is just to tie it on. Yeah, Malachi 4. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's a powerful scripture. Notice that mothers aren't mentioned there. You know why? Because mothers are not primarily the problem with society. It's the absent fathers. It's the absent fathers. So God says, if I cannot restore fathers, the earth will be destroyed with a curse. Wow. <laughs> Guys, this needs to make us a little bit nervous, don't you think so? So the restoration of fatherhood, fatherhood is the key to the survival of the human race. And, um, you know, perhaps that is why the cosmetic industry is so lucrative, because it elevates female beauty, and beauty is not glory. Okay, beauty is the substitute for glory. 1 Peter 3. Behold, us, uh, no, no, uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of hair, wearing of gold, putting on a fine apparel, and so on and so forth. He says, ladies, that's not your key. The Greek word for adornment there, by the way, is cosmos, meaning world system, and is the Source for the word cosmetic. Satan is the god of this world and he has attempted to use the system of adornment to steal man's glory. So women pursue that because an ungodly man thinks she's got to look so terrific and so on and so forth. She's got to be a real Barbie and whatever before I'm going to look at her. And the woman says, okay, let me try and be the Barbie. Don't understand the purposes. Have you noticed sometimes some very attractive people are not getting a husband, ladies, and some, 
not so attractive. Take it out, but like that. Why? Because there's something beyond physical beauty that can appeal to a man. And the woman just needs to understand that, okay? So we are not saying that women shouldn't wear makeup. We are saying that her physical beauty is not her glory. Her glory is finding, uh, uh, helping Zakar fulfill his purpose. That's where the glory comes. And so the helpmeet means an aid, an opposite part, a counterpart, a mate. And a woman was created to help a man while maintaining her opposite profile and so, and so on and so forth. And then, then on, let me come to a conclusion here. So Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. O oh Lord, you are my, the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Ladies, as Nequibah, you have a good inheritance. It's not inferior. Guys, as Zakah, you have a good inheritance. But you need to rise up into it and be able to overcome and say, yes, this is, is, is what, what God wants me to be. So, um, Hebrews 2 verse 5, my last scripture. What is man that you are mindful of him? You have crowned him with glory and honor. He must reflect the glory of Christ. And she says, that's what I want to see in my man, a reflection of Christ's glory. Then I can reflect him because he's reflecting Christ. Wow. So, in conclusion, the last slide says... Men, you are Adam. That means your origin is in God. You are Ish. You have the nature of the Father. And you are Zakar. You are predestined to rule. Take up your responsibility before the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. Amen. I want to invite fathers. If you would like to come and stand here, I'd like to pray for you. All the fathers in the house. And if you're not a father yet and you're going to be a father, come and join them. You have the... <laughs> you have the advantage of starting right. <laughs> People that get saved after their fathers, they go to say, okay, Lord, how do I recover <laughs> what I've lost? Some of you are not just physical fathers, but some of you will become spiritual fathers. Your pastor is a spiritual father. He's got spiritual sons that he looks after. And don't forget that the physical is just a reflection of what happens in the spiritual. And so if, you, if it's okay by you, I just want to pray for you and ask the Lord to just awaken your God-given destiny and purpose to bring fresh revelation to you of who you are in Christ and who God wants you to be. And it's going to excite you. It's going to challenge you. It's going it's to make you far more fruitful in the kingdom of God. And it's going to bless your relationships. And not just for your sake, but when you see others struggling, you can go to them and say, you know, this is something. Uh, I've let a copy of my notes will be left here, and of course the slides are, are on your computer. So if anybody wants to just relook at some of that stuff and just get it into your spirit, that's that most welcome. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to just bring these men before you. And Lord, they've all been created 
in the image and likeness of the Heavenly Father. We know that you've invested certain DNA in them. And Lord, I pray that that DNA will be awakened to a new level in the days that are ahead of them right now. And so, Lord, from the pastor, who's not only a physical father, but also a spiritual father, I bless his DNA that he's got from you. I bless his role as Ish. I bless his role as Zakar. And I pray, Lord, that he'll rise up more and more fully into that role and that you'll give him wisdom to fulfill it and so that he'll be a blessing to his wife, to his children, and to those who call him their spiritual father. Lord, I also pray for this brother and ask in Jesus' name that you'll awaken the Ish in him and the Zakar in him to rise up to new levels, Lord, and that it'll even amaze him and that it'll propel him into a completely new dimension of serving you and serving others. Bless him in this role in Jesus' name. Also for my brother, I just bless him, Lord, and I ask that you will raise up the nature of Ish and the nature of Zakar in him also. And Lord, that he'll be empowered by your spirit to rise up and to flow in the things that God has ordained him to be. And Lord, that is going to be an inspiration to many others in the days to come. My brother too, Lord, I just pray your blessing upon him and I just call forth the ish nature and the zakah nature that you've created him with to rise up and to emerge, Lord, to blossom, that people will be absolutely amazed at the new level that you're going to use him to and bless his family, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Also, my brother, yeah, Lord, I just pray your blessing upon him and that the ish in him and the zakah in him will rise up, Lord, and emerge, hallelujah, and that will become a strong leader, Lord, and that it will become a strong influencer of people for the things of God. So bless him in that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Pray for our brother too, Lord, and ask in Jesus' name that, that the ish nature and the zakah nature will rise up in him. I bless those giftings that you put within him and say, Lord, show him how to release those in a, more, in a more fuller way. Give him fresh revelation on this, Lord God, that it'll blow his mind and that he'll just run with the things of God with great excitement in the days to come. Also, my brother, yeah, Lord, I bless him in Jesus' name. I bless the ish nature. I bless the zakah that is inside of him, uh, that that will rise up also, Lord, that that will emerge, that that will manifest through him for the glory of God, and that people will look and say, surely something has happened to this man, and I want what he's got. And so, Lord, make him a good influencer over people because his confidence is in you. Thank you, Lord. Also for my brother, I just bless him, Lord, and I bless the ish nature in him. I bless the sakar nature in him, that it will rise up, Lord, and that he'll also emerge, that he'll flow, Lord, that he's going to reach a new dimension of his relationship with you, with his family, with the church people. Lord, just uh, cause fruitfulness to come forth in Jesus' name. Life, life, life in Jesus' name. Sure, just feel your life giver there. Lord, I just bless this brother too, and, and I just bless the, the ish nature in him. I bless the zakah gifting in him, and Lord, I call it forth and say, rise up, ish. Rise up, zakah, and even uh, run with what God has given to you. Run with what God is going to give to you. And I just feel that, that God is going to give you a lot more than you have un understood up to this point in time. And, and there's coming a, a new surge, a new lease of life uh, in the spirit for you in Jesus' name. So this brother, Lord, I, I bless his zakah nature, I bless his ish uh, gifting that is inside of him, and I call it forth to rise up in Jesus' name and to take up that responsibility, to take up those reins firmly. And Lord, that his life is going to be far more trimmed now uh, concerning his God-given purpose and destiny than ever before. 
in Jesus' name. And that clarity is going to come to him. Clarity of vision and purpose in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Also this, brother, Lord, I bless him. I bless the ish uh, gifting in him. I bless the zakah gifting that is in him. And I call it forth to rise up, rise up, rise up. Hallelujah. And emerge and become powerful in the hand of God. And accomplish your purpose. And it's going to even astound you what, what God is going to want to accomplish through you. It's going to scare you at times. But God says, I'll guide you. I'll be with you. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And so I bless those who aren't here this morning. Lord, those who are going to perhaps watch the live streaming or those who are going to uh, listen to any recording on this. Lord, I bless them and I say that as they hear, as they listen, that the ish nature and the zakah nature is going to be stirred up in them. Lord, we want to see this church being full of men who stand according to what God has invested in them and is going to accomplish the purpose. I speak blessing over every manager. I speak blessing over every family, blessing over every relationship in the name of Jesus. I speak life. I speak a fruitfulness over it for your glory. And so I thank you for our time together, Lord, in Jesus' name.